Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. Welcome back to the Mindwalk podcast. This is, of course, the podcast where we talk about everything new and innovative in the natural resources industries uh, with a specific focus on digital transformation. And today we're going to veer off a little bit, but not much, because we're going to be talking about advancements in modern tunneling and construction with a specific view on safety and digitalization solutions in that area. Our guests today are uh, both from Epiroc and they are uh, Friedrich Urberi. Uh, Friedrich is Business Development Manager for Construction at Epiroc. And then Hokan Bolsoy, Business Development Manager for Tunneling Intelligence at Epiroc as well. Welcome, Friedrich and Hokan. Thank you. Our pleasure. Thank you. Uh, I look forward to this discussion. I think there's lots of uh, similarity, of course, between construction and mining. Um, one of my colleagues always uh, used to say in, um, in a construction site, you bring all the resources to the site, but the site stays more or less in the same place and it develops. And then in mining, the actual site moves from time to time. And uh, of course, that's true in tunneling as well. Many people talk about mining, running your mine as a factory, but in the factory, you know, your infrastructure stays in the same place and you just bring consumables and resources to that place and it makes it much easier. But both in tunneling and mining, things move and don't stay in the same place and that adds a very interesting additional layer of complexity, I guess. Before we jump in, I would just like to very quickly, um, as always, thank MineRP who is the sponsor of the MineWall podcast. MineRP is a mining software company that specializes in enterprise interoperability. And that basically means that they make everyone on the mine work together better. MineRP is part of Epiroc's digital solutions portfolio, uh, where we help mines accelerate their journey towards digitally enabled excellence in mine planning, scheduling, and operational execution. A part of that, is also the tunneling and construction business that comes from the acquisition of Mobilaris. And we're going to talk a lot about that today. So with that said then, let me introduce our guests quickly. I said earlier that, that Frederick is Business Development Manager for Construction at Epiroc. So Frederick, let's start with you. Um, why don't you quickly tell us a little bit about yourself and, uh, and your role at Epiroc? What does that mean? I, uh, I'm based in Sweden, Örebro, working for Epiroc and former Atlas Copco since 23 years. I live with my wife and two teenage daughters here in Örebro, and I have a little cottage house where I actually love using my hands to do some carpenting and uh, I do love sports, I do kayaking all year round and I like running paddle tennis, being active in my free time. Sounds like you're a busy man, especially with two teenage daughters, you know, if I heard that correctly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it happens. <laughs> I, I only have one, you know, that's interesting enough. Uh, <laughs> okay. And then over to you. Um, your role, business development manager for tunneling intelligence specifically. So I guess that's, uh, that is very specific, but tell us a little bit about yourself and that role as well. 
Yeah, so my, my, myself, I joined the company just a, a year ago, actually, to Mobilaris. It was at that point last year. Yeah, so I'm uh, located in, uh, an hour north of, of Stockholm. So I'm not located in the office, the Mobilaris office in Luleå in northern Sweden. Uh, this site where I am or where I live is, is also like two hours from Örebro, so not too far away there, but an excellent point for, for reaching out to customers and so on from Stockholm Arlanda Airport, as we have an international arena to work on. Um, I just a year ago joined the company, so I'm pretty young, young in the company. Uh, regarding private things, I'm already in, in the stage with, with grandkids, so I'm busy visiting them, supporting them in, in many things and being, being happy of the dessert of life <laughs> when you talk about grandkids privately also. Wintertime, like skiing a lot, summertime, it mostly go for sailing. I was going to ask about that because I saw on your LinkedIn profile that, you, that you've got a nice sailboat there. Is that possibly yours? Well, that, that on LinkedIn profile is not mine, but I've used it uh, several times. I have a little bit, a little other one, a little smaller actually than the one on the picture, but uh, we have rented many times, uh, many years uh, about now. Nowadays, we have one our own. But this is not the one on the picture. So let's let's jump into uh, into the discussion of how you guys got to be involved in digital solutions and then specifically in in construction and in tunneling. Maybe let's start with you, Felix. Yeah, I entered Aperoc as a designer and soon moved into product management. Uh, and um, there, of course, productivity is a very important thing. Uh, I also like building things, as said, and uh, when I moved into M&A as part of business development, I was uh, part of the team actually making an investment in, in Mobilaris. Okay. Uh, and then also other different uh, digital companies. And that brought me into to this, actually. Let's see. Okan, on your side, uh, are you also a... A builder like Frederick, or <laughs> I do really like working with my hands. Yes, yeah, so so I even go to the kids to help them repair their houses if needed. <laughs> so yeah, practical things are, are very. You see what's what's moving on. So that's a bit different with digital tools. It's uh, not always visible in the same way. But it is interesting how many people in in this world don't necessarily play in the digital space because of the digital tools as such, but because of the business problems that, that we have the opportunity to solve with digital tools. So I don't know, any one of you can jump in here. Maybe let's get to the point of, um, of construction and tunneling construction as such. And, you know, whenever you look at Discovery Channel, you see all kinds of interesting documentaries with ton tunnel boring machines and modern equipment when it comes to the development of tunnels, you know, for water or subways or whatever it is. But what are some of the real problems that companies have to address now in, in modern tunneling construction? I would say that um, knowing what's going on at the spot where things are happening, normally called the face or uh, yeah, where, where you are doing the drilling or blasting, so it's, it's far underground and typically a few or many kilometers in. So 
knowing what's going on there and you have a lot of challenges and, and limited space. Yeah, I agree. And because keeping the productivity up is extremely important and difficult to do if you have one phase, one production zone to work on and, and keeping safe and have high productivity and also low business risk for those contractors in tunneling. That are key issues that we can help solving. You talked about two things that I want to take further. The one is, you know, you mentioned contractors specifically. So I do want to talk a little bit about who all of the role players are. But, you know, of course, in mining, it's it's a little bit different because you at least potentially have multiple options of where to work. You could work on this phase or you could work on that phase. Maybe there's a safety issue that you need to sort out in uh, in one area. And while you do that, you can work in another area. And that's not the same for tunneling. I, I would imagine typically it would be a serial project. Yeah, I, w- I would agree there. And and the other thing is that most of the tunnel workers, they don't live where the tunnel is, but they, they travel even from abroad to be maybe one or two weeks at the site. And then they work long days. They are con- continuously there. And if they have to wait for their turn in, in the tunnel, whatever, whatever task they have to do, uh, they have to wait. So any, any delay causes a lot of waiting time. I can imagine. Friedrich, so if, if I think of a tunnel, then, you know, it comes to mind, of course, the construction and, and someone's got to pay for it. So there's an owner and there's an, I guess, a, let's call it a builder or a, or a construction company that's involved. There must be many other parties also involved. Who, can, can you kind of sketch that landscape of role players for us? Yeah, compared to mining, I think the, the construction is a little bit more scattered uh, when it comes to stakeholders. We have, as you mentioned, MP, the owner and the contractor. Very often there is a consultancy company that have made the design based on uh, ground conditions and things like that. And uh, I think there is a need to see this uh, stakeholder landscape to to understand that there, there is a lot of communication needed and very often data needed to be transferred between those parties. And I can imagine a lot of scheduling of resources and people, as Hokan just talked about as well. You know, so so it's not you can't just tell everyone, okay, you do your job. It's got to be scheduled and planned very well. Yes, and it's also a fact uh, that. It is a temporary organization. Right. It's a temporary setup, uh, maybe six months to six years, but it's still not the span of a lifetime of a mine. Yeah. And that is also a difference, very big difference. Yeah, I can imagine because mines are typically very capital intensive uh, initially, and then, and then, of course, that capital profile changes over time. But you have a long life of mine, uh, and that means that very often you can afford some uh, serious capital investments that would be paid back through increased productivity later on in the mine. But that's not necessarily the same in a tunnel, is it? No, uh, all tunnel projects would be working with very light balance sheets. Mm. Uh, normally, the, the companies even rent equipment for, for the tunnel project. And that affects our business models so, so that we can have operational expenditure rather than capex. Oh, okay, that makes sense. Okay, let's let's talk about these specific solutions that uh, that you guys offer um, to to tunneling in general. And then maybe we can talk about uh, you know what makes that um, ideal. But 
in a 30 second uh, thumbnail what are the what are the major uh, problems that you solve for uh, construction companies i would say that the the main two main things is is safety and and the other is productivity okay. uh, these two are really two factors that that count at every company and also normally be, be above the contractor you have the Mel the state or, or whatever who is the, uh, the the ordering who is ordering the the tunnel so uh, they would have their goals of safety probably which is typically the same or, or similar to the contractor but productivity is of course uh, for, for everyone of interest yeah yeah and and what kinds of solutions do you let's start with let's start with this on the safety side uh, maybe I mean it's not as if you provide high visibility clothing, <laughs> you know, what is it specifically that you do? <laughs> well, well, of interest is uh, to know who is underground or not. Yeah. Uh, so there is a uh, control, entrance control system. But also uh, when it comes to safety, uh, there could be a long, several tens of kilometer even tunnel. Uh, and, and that makes a big difference knowing where people are if there is an emergency or an issue down there. So, so that's a key thing for safety, knowing where people are. Because I remember, you know, or know in, in mines, you know, you've got a single point of entry, you've got a turnstile there, and time and attendance systems are one thing, but you're talking about something much more uh, useful in the sense that it is not only knowing who went into the tunnel, but it is also about tracking people and, and other assets uh, continuously, right? And I, I would assume visualizing where they are. Yes, of course, you can use the system also viewing your 3D uh, map of the tunnel to see where any kind of machinery is or people or uh, rescue chambers, for example, which be uh, a very high interest, of course. And is that true for the person in the control room, but also true for maybe people who are working in the tunnel that they can see where others are or where pieces of equipment are? Yeah, the full use of our system, of course, allows anyone to view either on the phone or a tablet or a PC to see this kind of map and even search for where is this, where are these electricians or where is this loader machine or whatever, so they can be found. And that is also a difference actually between construction and mining. Uh, that not all mine, uh, no, sorry, not all construction sites have a control room. Right. Yeah. So we need to distribute this information uh, also to, to managers on all level and also to all workers to see where things are. Uh, it happens that there are control rooms available, but we cannot uh, depend on that, actually. I would imagine that, uh, that you also have different kind of use cases for tunnels, depending on, the, on what kind of equipment and machines are used and, and, and whether there's as I said earlier, maybe a tunnel boring kind of approach or a drill and blast kind of approach. The kinds of resources and the, the management of the cycle times and so on uh, is something that links very closely to where things are and at what critical times they should be available or how long it would take for them to get there. Is that scheduling something that you guys get involved in a lot? You mean the scheduling of, of um, the worker in the tunnel? Yeah, of course. Um... As said in the beginning here, as you have one phase typically, or just a few, maybe two, if it's a dual tunnel, um, you have one site to work on and, and to have everything work in serial and have the next uh, task to start as soon as the other finishes is, is a key. Mm. So knowing in real time what's going on 
is a key. So therefore, there is a tool for that, of course, planning and scheduling tool that is visible to anyone also and being reported from each person that is doing the task. So anyone can see what is actually going on. I have a brother who is a um, reliability engineer, I guess, and he, uh, you know, he works on, on big chemical plants. And he says, you know, very often when they've got to go and do inspections uh, during shutdowns and so on, trying to find where things are, you know, finding a specific valve or a specific tank or a specific piece of equipment and so on uh, on, a, on a plant is a nightmare. And, and I would imagine in a, in a tunnel, you know, that could be many kilometers long, that could be an equally big challenge, Friedrich. Yeah, I think so, yes. And uh, uh, as you say that, uh, yeah, with that said, it is a diff difficult task during construction, but the, the tunnel also have a life. Mm -hmm. And that is a big difference from mine, I guess. If you, I mean, if you make a, an access tunnel to the ore to, to actually blast it, that tunnel will not exist that long in the mine. But in, for a tunnel in, uh, for, for a railroad or something like that, it will last maybe 100 years. Yeah. So this uh, documenting where things are and how things were done during construction, do it inefficiently, finding the, the right place to install and uh, finding the equipment as such is, of course, important. But then also having that documentation live during the use of the tunnel for hundreds of years and the maintenance, future maintenance and future rebuilds, that is also a very important task. So, so there, must be, there must be quite an interesting interaction between um, the, the work management systems, the safety management systems, and then things like building information management systems or BIMS uh, on, on, on those sites as well. Yes, that's true. And when we talk to contractors today, many of them say that there is a lot of uh, digital tools available for geology, for example, before construction starts. There is a lot of digital tools for CAD drawing uh, to do the design. But once the work starts, then they need more. A little bit about, uh, uh, you know, during the shift and during the, uh, the construction um, or the actual execution of the work. Um, we want to know about productivity. We want to know who's doing what and, well, where, where they are. We've talked about that. But we also want to know about machine telemetry and what the machines are doing and, and, uh, and so on. Is that something uh, that you also do in tunneling, like what the Aperoc Mining Intelligence uh, solutions have available for mines? Yeah, the, the machines itself typically carries out a, a lot of digital information about what they are doing at each time, of course. So the Mobilar system can integrate here to see what is the machine doing at, at each time or combine this information. But as Mobilar is a kind of independent system, it really can be used in any kind of machine. It doesn't need to be an Epiroc machine because we know in a tunnel that a lot of machines are used there. So if it's a, a concrete sprayer, uh, this could be another brand and we need to also carry out and, and see reporting from that machine and, and how it's going. So this can be installed and, and put in, in any kind of machine. And the key is to see what, what's going on in a machine. And, and typically, yeah, the, the man interface, the, what the, the person doing the job can insert or input is, is more of a key than the machine itself, especially when it comes to real-time data. 
So what are so, some of the uh, specific applications of this uh, data that comes off of the machine and from the people who collect the data on the, say, operator clients? What is it being used? What is really key to, to let people know, everyone uh, from, from management down to the, to the workers in the tunnel, is that this is not a system to watch, are they doing work or are they lazy? This is really a key. We, we, we need to tell that we, we want to be friends with those, those doing the work down there. So having a correct reporting of what, what they are doing is the aim. Uh, avoid pa paper and pen reporting, which could be kind of uh, difficult reading papers after coming out after the shift. So it should be kind of a start and stop system as well as uh, reporting delay. So in, in, in case of you have an issue, you have to stop the, your waiting time. You can easily just touch the screen to stop it and, and have that kind of recalled into the, into the system immediately. And that information, I would, I would assume, is then available for things like, you know, uh, analysis and, and looking at why vehicle or machines broke down or why certain delays occurred and things like that. Is that right? Yes, correct. So just by start and stop activity and delay activity. So just a few touches enables you to read, um, especially when you have time waste. So mm -hmm. utilization of phase or machinery is the key. So when you go back and look for a week of work or a month, you can see why did we have the, the waste of time here? Uh, so it could be a, a machine poor, poorly served, needing uh, a repair or something. So too many hydraulic breakdowns or anything else that, that comes into it. So it's very easy to get these reports out. And, and, the, and as you said, that can be from a mixed fleet or any kinds of machines. It doesn't need to be by only one provider or OEM. Correct. Yeah. So any machine can have this installed and that's the heart and the key of the system. Just to break in here on, on the use cases, because what Hokan mentioned is very important to keep the, the project efficient and the moving forward, hmm. of course. And the same data is then also available to document what work was done so that the contractor can invoice the tunnel owner saying that now we have done this part of the work, please pay us for that. And then there is a good quality in that uh, material. Same data in other format will also go to the parent company of the contractor saying that, okay, we, we have those key data, we have those capabilities, and this is how long it takes to do those things. And they can use that data for next quotation to reduce business risk. And then, of course, to document as built. You mentioned building information models mm -hmm. uh, to actually document how was it built so that we know for future maintenance and usage of the tunnel. And is that kind of the connectivity to multiple systems and let's call it the data integration layer, something that you specialize in as well? Not yet very much, but uh, I think that that is very much needed by customers. Mm. Uh, next week, I will have a talk to one of the contractors here in Sweden, also active in all Europe, about how they use building information models today. Mm -hmm. And uh, in underground construction, I think we can do more. Let's move on quickly. And, and I, I read on your uh, website as well that energy consumption based on ventilation is one of the biggest costs internally. How does uh, your solutions help to uh, improve ventilation costs? I don't know the biggest cost, but any, anyway, we, we know that it takes a lot of energy to 
to make sure there is air in the tunnel. And obviously when the tunnel is very short or in the very beginning, let's say 100, 100 meters or so, you need very little air versus uh, five or 10 kilometer or whatever. Hmm. So naturally running the fan uh, at different speed is uh, really needed. If you run it at full speed, you obviously will have a lot of noise, a lot of turbulence hmm. um, and, and a lot of energy consumption. So having that enabled to, to run it at different speed is, is really a key. As well, when you do blasting, because when, when the blast is there and you need to get the gases out, you want maybe quickly to run it at, at the high speed. So savings typically is maybe the, a typical fan uses twice its cost itself in energy every year. And if you can, can have it, which uh, some tests have shown, that makes a lot of money. Yeah, that's that's incredible that it's that much. I would assume that it's not only the speed that can be improved, but uh, you know, with all kinds of interesting IoT capabilities, it should be able to uh, to monitor the condition of the uh, of the fans as well, and the blades and vibration and all kinds of let's call it early indicators of failure or or a lack of uh, performance as well. True, and and today those warnings they occur at the fan. Uh, itself, uh, but with a system like Mobilaris, we can bring that information to everybody and also send warnings to people in the area of that ventilation zone. And actually, it, it's it's the balance here. I mean, having enough air, but not too much air. So you can also confirm that. I mean, we know how many people are in the tunnel, or what kind of machinery is used. Are they on diesel or electricity? And by that, also. Um, play or, or see how, how you uh, manage the, the volume of, of air you send in there. So it's a system where, where you can balance this in the best way. Yeah. Not too much, not too little. When we had the prep session for this, you talked about an interesting story at a construction site with a dump truck that got stuck at the entrance of a tunnel. <laughs> I thought that was interesting. Then you want to tell us the story again? In, in, indeed, indeed. It was... Uh, <laughs> I mean, the big, the big bucket or the, the big load uh, of, of this hauler, um, uh, I mean, the bucket was not completely down uh, and, and probably some, some of the sensors were not working. So, so he didn't realize it, it was up. So he was trying to enter the tunnel and, and he got stuck, of course, and, and not only the truck, but some other things was, was also destroyed. And, and but the good thing with the system here because they they used our system so one of the operators could easily kind of see this uh, and then in the system send out the message to everyone that this entrance is now blocked it will right. be blocked for x amount of hours so instantly everybody could be aware of the of the problem there and of course if you've got kinds of operations that are that are time critical i mean you talked earlier on about shot creating and uh, I guess there are a variety of these kinds of uh, consumables and materials that, that that degrade over time. So you you mustn't send someone to do work when it's not uh, when the workplace is not available or accessible. So I can just imagine that uh, that you can avoid a lot of waste if you're able to communicate proactively like that. Indeed, indeed, that's correct. Well, it's been really interesting, guys. Uh, thanks a lot for your time. I look forward to, to maybe getting you back on and, and, and hearing about some more of these case studies and, and, and interesting stories as you, as you engage with more and more clients. As we then wind this down, every podcast I ask our guests what's on their bedside table. 
So I'll do the same uh, with the two of you. What are you reading? Who's going to start? Go on, Frederick. <laughs> yeah, I would. I was thinking about this. I, I looked at my my bedside table, and I see actually books are piling up. Uh, there are criminal stories, cookbooks, Nobel Prize winners, and a lot of books there. Books, but uh, at the moment I'm more reading news actually before I go to bed and uh, I guess that is the war in the Europe geopolitics and things like that so I lost a little bit of that maybe that could be the next year yeah <laughs> on your side Okan I, I don't read too much of books I should maybe read more more also but but mostly actually when when I read I, I would say I read the book of books which is the bible so so maybe this is number one for me yeah, we've got that in common, most definitely. And of course, uh, you know, an interesting thing that I uh, that I notice many people start uh, or talk about in this case is not only what they read, but uh, but why they read and how they switching off like that at uh, at the end of a day has a very interesting uh, effect as well. But in any way, it's been really good having the two of you on. And um, I look forward, as I said, to, to hearing more from you. So thank you for joining us as, uh, as guests on the Mind World podcast. My pleasure. Thank you, MPA.